Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We'll begin in verse 16 here in just a moment. As you get those ready and as you're being generous this morning and the difference that this will make, what you're about to do is going to make a difference we may not be able to measure on this side of life Uh, But I promise you in the kingdom, God is going to take what you're doing here right now, and he's going to share Jesus with somebody, and we're grateful that you're joining us in that. Uh, I just want to do something I don't do enough of here, yet it's a part of my heart and what I really believe, and I am so grateful for the people I get to work with here at Christ Church, the talented volunteers, the staff uh, that I get to work with each and every week, and they don't work for me. I get to work with them, and that's important for me. Uh, as I feel that in my heart, but uh, Chip may have mentioned it at the beginning of our worship this morning. I want you to know that most of the songs, with the exception of one that we're singing this morning, they wrote for this particular series through the Gospels, and I'm just amazed not only at the good theology in our music, but that they can do that, and not only do it once, but continually write music that we as a church can express ourselves uh, through that gift. Would you help me appreciate them? I know they're back there, but would you help me appreciate them? Music is such a big part of my world, and God gave me no talent. So uh, to be able to work with people that are that talented and that gifted and use that for the kingdom, I'm just blessed each time we come in here, and uh, I need to say that more often. Uh, For those of you that are visiting with us this morning, my name is Mark, and I get to be one of the ministers here, and I'm grateful for that chance. We began a series in the fall of 2016 where we decided to go at whatever rate we needed to to get through the series of the story of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we broke it into five movements of his life. And I want to catch you up so you know where we're at. We started with the arrival session, which was the prophecies in the Old Testament, the promise to Mary and Joseph, the birth of baby Jesus. And then there was a period of obscurity that we studied where we looked at the story where Jesus was an unknown, a young boy being raised, and what happened in his development and his call by God to be baptized by his cousin John. Then we went to the period of recognition. Jesus began to do miracles, and he began to teach, and crowds began to gather around this new teacher with these new ideas that were changing people's lives. And then became a period, the fourth movement in the life of Jesus was the revolution. And this is where Jesus stood up to man-made religion, and he called people to a greater calling, and he called them to understand the kingdom that he was establishing. Remember, the, the cliff note version of every sermon Jesus ever preached is Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is available now. And then we got to the victory stage, the fifth movement in the life of Jesus. And this is the cross, the resurrection, and the calling of his disciples. And as we conclude this series this morning, we need to to just honor Jesus, that he came to do what the Father asked him to do. And what God asked Jesus to do was to demonstrate the love of God and to also honor the holiness of God. And for many of us, that's a struggle because how does the holiness of God, that that sin must be dealt with, and how does the love of God that forgives us and gives us grace, how can those two things exist in one God and him not be conflicted? How can he be holy and loving at the same time? Well, it's solved through Jesus. The answer to that is to look at what Jesus did. You see, the holiness of God was honored when sin was fully dealt with, and the love of God was exhibited when God himself died on the cross. That's how God did it. You and I wouldn't know how to match holiness and love. In fact, most people that I meet in Christianity just want the love of God to win and the holiness of God to just be put off for another day. Yet God can't do that. He can't betray his character 
So God sent Jesus to accomplish both, to enact his holiness and exhibit his love. And that's the man that we have been celebrating and and preaching on for the last 138 weeks. Now we're at the so what moment in time. What do we do with this? Is it good information? Is it just love Jesus more? That's a simple yet insufficient answer. What are we supposed to do? And so today I want to take you to a passage of scripture that many people know. In fact, it's one of those passages that makes most people feel like, yeah, I ain't going to do that. But remembering who we're talking about, let's look at it and see what he's actually asking us to do. Let's begin in verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. There's a couple of little pieces here that I want you to get. If you jump right to verses 18 through 20, which is easy for us to do because we know where he's going. If you go to verses 18 and 20, I think you miss what he's actually setting us up to do, which makes the E word in church. I, what I think it's funny is I've done this long enough that I can tell you this is just me. The two churches that I've been involved in in 30 years, I'll tell you this is a fact. You'd rather have me talk to you about your money than evangelism. Because what most of us will say is, I'll give you my money so you'll evangelize for me. But the evangelism word has become this word that makes all of us go, I can't do that, I don't know how to do that. And deep down inside, I don't want to do that because we've misunderstood what he's called us to do. If you listen to what takes place here, you're going to see that he's asked us to do something that is so easy, we all do it every day. So, when they went to the mountain that he told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That seems like a strange thing. It's interesting in the chronology of what's taking place. Jesus told them to go to this mountain, and when they went to that mountain, then he arrives. There's something about our obedience that Jesus responds to. Now, it doesn't mean that everything Jesus does is predicated on you and I doing what we're supposed to. Praise God, he did a lot of things like the cross before we were obedient. But there are certain things that we have to do to bring that blessing into play and God's actions into play. There is that covenantal response. And so when they went to the mountain, Jesus arrives, and it says they doubted. Now, we all go, wait a second. He's alive from the tomb. He's performed miracles. They know who Jesus is. No, they're not doubting Jesus. They're doubting themselves. And I think that's where most of us are, at least I am, on occasion. There's some things Jesus asks me to do that are really simply to do. Love my family? Yeah. Honor my mother and father? Deal. Love my enemy? Eh. Turn my cheek when you smack me? Ain't gonna happen. And it's not that I don't think Jesus is right, it's I don't think I can do that. My natural disposition doesn't make that easy, and if it's not easy, then it's not worth doing, right? Well, no, that's the opposite, isn't it? But we all know that we will default to what makes sense to us. And they were doubting on the mountain when Jesus appeared whether they could do what he was going to ask them to do, and he gives them the remedy for their concern. You see, if they were worried about their ability or courage, they needed to remember what Peter learned last week on the beach. Jesus does not call us to purposes based on our abilities. He calls us based on his power and his presence. This is what we need to know. Jesus doesn't call you and I to obey him because we're powerful now and we're better now and we're stronger now. No, he calls us because he is stronger and he is good and he will never leave us. Verse 18, when they appeared, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. If you were with us here last week, Peter, who had lied about knowing Jesus on the night Jesus was murdered, 
and hid out from his relationship with Jesus, met Jesus after the resurrection on a beach, and Jesus asked him three times, correlating it to his denial, do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. It wasn't a doubt whether he loved him. And Peter wasn't told by Jesus, now fix it. Now do better. Jesus said, love people. You see, it's his love that brings us back after our sin. And it is his authority that sends us out. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So if you think for, your, for a moment, I can't obey him, you're probably right. By his power, you can. By your relationship with him, you can. I can't, I can't do all this. Yes, you can. You can turn the other cheek. You can love your enemy. You can bless those who persecute you. Why? Because you're stronger now and you have a better mind? No, because Jesus' authority can change you if you let it be the authority of your life and not you and I being our own authority. You see, when we return from our sin with love, then we will begin to grow in our faith through obedience. And this has been a tension in the church for thousands of years. I'm not making this up. I can show you books through time that will tell you there's this tension between when the word faith and works is mentioned in the same sentence, some of us bristle. No, 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 no. If you have to do anything, it's not faith. No, you've misunderstood. Faith is not an understanding. Faith is a response. Faith is a verb. It's not a noun. And faith works. Faith does things. If you don't believe that, then look at a marriage. You take faith in the love of the person you're married to, and then that is demonstrated in some fashion, or it's not. You can tell your children you love them, but they will know if you love them by what? By how you respond and how you act and what you do. And Jesus is calling us to obey because that's where our faith grows. And he's calling us to obey him today, not to punish us because we sinned, but to grow our faith and advance his kingdom. Verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. By his authority, by the power demonstrated in the resurrection, by the goodness of God on the cross, by the holiness and love of God coming together in God on the cross, dying for our sins when we should have been forced to die for them. In all of that moment, Jesus said, by my authority, I'm going to give you something to do. So here it is, our mission. This is the so what part of the gospel. Nothing matters to date if you and I don't understand who's calling us and what he's calling us to. Our mission, offer a life of discipleship through our witness. Now, for you grammar Nazis out there, the verb is make disciples. Make disciples. It's the main verb, and the going, baptizing, and teaching are subordinate to that. Those are what you do to make disciples. But he's calling us to make disciples. What's a disciple? It's a follower. It's a learner. It's someone who puts themselves under somebody to learn from them. I remember having a conversation. I know I was in sixth grade when it happened because that summer when I went to church camp, a preacher mentioned this in a sermon. And I thought, oh, that's twice I've heard this. I had to pay attention. My grandfather told me I needed to become a student of every person I met. He said, for the rest of your lives, you're going to find somebody who does something that you don't know how to do or does something better than you. Find out how and why they do it. Ask the question. How did you learn to do that? Who taught you that? Why do you do it that way? And if you're just inquisitive, you can grow so much in understanding. And Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world. That doesn't mean that you have to leave your hometown. 
You meet people every day you can, you can perform this with, that you can love this way. He says, go into all the world, and what I want you to do is offer them a chance to follow me. Because most people think they can't follow Jesus. They're disqualified. Or they've been told that following Jesus is a, li a list of do's and don'ts, and there's no personal interaction. And you and I know much better. After studying the gospel for three years now, we know that Jesus is offering us so much more than religion. He's offering us peace and hope and joy, and who doesn't need that? But we're told to go make disciples. We're to introduce the resurrected Jesus to people. We're to share with them what he's done in our lives. And for many of us, we hit the brakes and go, yeah, but I mean, I'm just going to be honest. And we want to be a church that's honest. And I know I'll make some of you uncomfortable. That's not my intention. But if it makes you uncomfortable, ask God about it. Some of us don't want to share. We love people in our world. And we don't want to share Jesus with them because deep down inside, we're fearful they're going to turn around and say, dude, didn't I drink with you? Didn't we used to get hammered? Didn't we do drugs together? Don't I have secrets about you that if I told some significant people in your life would ruin you? And most of us are going, preacher, I get it, stop. But the reason we don't want to share Jesus with them is because we have misunderstood this to mean we need to make them disciples of us. No. There is no greater testimony than a broken man who says, Jesus fixed me. And we don't celebrate the brokenness, we lament it. But our hope is not in how much better we've become. Our hope is that Jesus is enough in my brokenness. How many people do you know who, because of your past, would find Jesus more real than without it? To go, dude, you? You're following Jesus? Must be real. You see, we're so fearful that we're not enough. Well, guess what? We're not. That's why all authority belongs to him. And he's told us to go make disciples of him not disciples of us. And then we're to teach them to obey. Ah, oh, preacher, you ruined it. If I just told them Jesus loved them, they'd like that. Now they got to do things. Yeah, love compels us. And Jesus' commands aren't heavy. They aren't overarching. They don't ruin us. They bring us to life. James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write the early church under persecution. He would say these words, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, Try it. Do what it says. How do you know it doesn't work? How do you know that you can't share the faith that's in you? Paul, in Acts chapter 20, had been beaten in a town called Ephesus, and he had to escape over the, the wall in a basket to protect his life. And he was saying goodbye to the leaders on the beach, and he was sailing away knowing that it's very certain he would never return to that city. And he wrote these words. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Notice that what Paul says here. He said, all God has asked me to do, and he said, I want to spend the rest of my life doing this. I want to make sure I take every opportunity I can to tell people that God loves them and he wants a relationship with them. Even the broken sinner, even the guy who's got issues, even the woman who, who's got a past, he said, my job is to invite them into the table of the Lord, to sit with him and receive his love and grace. To the churches in Rome, Paul wrote a letter that would be circulated amongst the house churches in the great city of Rome. And he wrote these words, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anybody who calls out to God, he will save them. Doesn't matter your past, God wants to save you and he can. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they've not heard? 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And the minute we read that, we become American. Let me explain what that is. Every now and then I make this comment, and I'll get some, some very uh, friendly emails from people saying, what is your problem with America? Well, I, don't, I love being here. I love my country. It's broken. The kingdom of heaven is what we're about, not a nation. And what's wrong with the American mind is we have denotation and connotation. Denotation is what the dictionary says. Connotation is how we use the word. And when you heard that last word there, when you heard Paul say, how can they hear without someone preaching to them, it is natural for our minds to turn that into what I'm doing right now. And we're like, that's why we have Mark. Nope. It's not what the word preach means. The word preach means to herald something. It means to announce it. So there are moments I get to herald good things. I'll be in the house. I'll see someone come in the door. I'll look. It's Alex and Madison, and they brought our favorite person in the world, their dog Lou, and they come in the house, and I herald to our home. The kids are here. And Heather becomes instantly happy and runs upstairs from her office, so grateful her baby's home. And I herald that. You know how to herald things. You've heralded a good movie. I found out that there's a new Star Wars thing coming on. How do I know? It was heralded all over social media. I also took two days off of Twitter to cleanse my mind, to get away from the noise, and I got back online, holy smoke, Popeye's created a chicken sandwich. Did you hear? <laughs> the Amazon rainforest has been burning for three weeks. I didn't know that. But doggone it, Popeye's came up with a sandwich, and there's blasphemy all over the world saying it's as good as Chick-fil-A. They lie. We know how to herald good news. We know how to herald bad news. We know how to tell people something's going on. And Jesus simply asked you and I to herald the fact that he loves them. We've turned it into a process. We've turned it into, I remember growing up, and I, I'm really not making fun of it, but I kind of am. I remember when my parents got serious about getting in church, and I was a kid, and dad came home and sat everybody around the table, and he said, hey, on Tuesday night, you boys are coming with me, the three oldest. Dad put us in the truck, and we went into a neighborhood, and he gave us these folded-up pieces of paper, and we were required to go knock on doors of people we did not know on a Tuesday night, and I remember praying nobody was home. I do. I remember going, oh, God, please let nobody be here. I'll be, I promise I'll go to India. I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> and I would knock on the door, and someone would answer, and you'd hand them this bad theology on this piece of paper and expected them to go, oh, I need Jesus. Let's go to the church. I was like, oh, and I'm not really making fun of it, but I am because you know what? In 33 years of doing this, I've never met. Now, maybe you're here and that's awesome, but you're in the one, 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 one thousandth percent of people in the world who ever met a stranger who gave them a piece of paper and said, ha, huh, I'm right, you're wrong, and said, I need to follow Jesus. But testify in the room with me today. How many of us are believers in Jesus because a real believer in Jesus spent time showing us that God loved us in spite of ourselves and because of the love they showed and the care they showed, we actually found Jesus that way? How many of us in the room? You see, you and I were won by somebody who simply did what Jesus asked. They heralded good news that we needed to hear. This is all he's asked us to do is to make disciples. That's why Jesus said to the early disciples in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. And a witness can only testify to what they've experienced. I cannot witness in a court of law by something I heard you say. I can only testify what I saw with my own eyes and I have experienced. The people in your life trust you enough that if you tell them Jesus is real and you tell them how he's changed your life, you got a story to tell and you've got something they need to hear.
There's a parable about four men walking through this dense forest, and they came to this big wall, and they never realized it was there. They didn't know what it was, but they heard something on the other side, so they got some vines together, and they made a rope, and they put a rock on one end, and the four of them threw it as high as they could and got it over the wall to leverage it, and one of them climbed up, and he got to the top of the wall, and he looked over, and he, he saw it, and he was amazed, and he, he just squealed with delight and jumped over the side, and they were like, whoa. So the second guy goes to the top, and he gets up there, and he smacks his forehead, and he looks at his friends. He's like, come on, and he goes over. Third guy looks at the fourth guy, and the fourth guy says, go, you go first. He went up to the top, and he turned around to the buddy at the bottom. He said, you got to get up here. And the fourth guy climbed to the top, and he looked over the wall, and it was this beautiful garden. It was so beautiful with flowers and, and trees, and it was so rich with animals. And he, he just looked, and it was one of those beautiful things he saw, and he started to go over, and he stopped. And the three on the other side noticed that he disappeared over the wall, the opposite direction. And after a period of time thinking he would never come over, they, they felt the rope move, and all of a sudden, he appeared on the top, and behind him came his wife and his kids and his family and his friends and his neighborhood. And the focus of the parable is this. Which one of the four actually understood the beauty they saw? The one who realized there's enough for everybody. It wasn't just that I get to go. It was that there are people that I want to experience this too. Love goes back to bring people to what you've seen is beautiful. That's all Jesus has asked us to do to offer a life of following Jesus through our witness. Verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our method, our mission is to make disciples by testifying to how good Jesus is and what he offers us. Our method is by trusting his promises and obedience. Not only trusting it, but and obeying this is how we learn more about Jesus, is stepping out by faith into the things he calls us to, to experience life the way he wants us to have it. He said, I am with you always. Remember, they had this tension. Jesus said he was leaving on the night he was betrayed, and they're like, you can't leave us. Where will you go? How will we know how to get there? And Jesus is like, trust me, I'm going to send the presence, the presence that's guided me every day, the Holy Spirit that has led me and taught me and affirmed in me and led me in this direction, he is going to be with you. And we think, man, I'd rather have Jesus physically with me than the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you, they're the same thing. We're not missing anything by Jesus not physically being here because he said, I'm going to send you a better thing and that's going to be my presence. The same spirit that guided me through my ministry, Jesus said, will be in each one of you guiding you if we will listen and obey. He said, I will be with you always. You'll never be without me. You can have a conversation right now. I encourage every one of us to cease praying these words. Father, be with me today. He's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, I've been here every moment. You just haven't noticed. You're not open to me. Be open to me and I'll show you I'm here. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it'll say verse 15 that, on the screen. That's my mistake. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For the love of Christ compels us. For the love of Christ is what he's calling us to. It's not an obligation as punishment for your previous sin. It's an opportunity to invite people to come over the wall with you and to experience the garden again the way God designs it. And as Jesus did with his obedience to the Father, you and I can do with ours. As Jesus blessed nations because of his obedience, you and I can bless nations by ours, whether it's financially giving or serving a neighbor or loving an enemy, whatever that task is, it is in our obedience that the love compels us, not duty, opportunity. And what do we have to offer him? 
What can we offer these people that we're promising? Now, a lot of us, it's like, hey, just come to church. Like, coming to church is going to connect someone to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. But a person who's been connected to Jesus will see the value of the church. And so we're not switching bait on them, like trying to get them here, hoping they just all of a sudden go, oh, yeah. No, no, we want to show them. It's changed my life. It's changed my world. And let me tell you the difference Jesus has made to me. What do we offer? Well, only Jesus fulfills us. This is a promise of Scripture. This is who Jesus is. In John 10, 10, he said, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the fullest. What is the full life? Someone asked Jesus that question. What is this all about? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what, church? And love your neighbor as yourself. Notice how this is connected. The fullness of life is not just that you're saved from your sins. The fullness of life is that your heart, your soul, your mind, and your entire body experiences what God wants you to experience in life. Both the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, but to do it with him. And then showing others that it's more than just church attendance or being baptized at some moment in your life. It's actually living this out in full strength and experiencing the presence of God in every area of who I am and showing people that they can have that too. The second thing you got to offer people is that only Jesus offers freedom. John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be really free. And I want to know what really free means because I don't experience it often. Do you know anybody who's trapped in a damaged relationship? Do you know anybody trapped in a habit? Do you know anybody trapped by circumstances? May not even be their own fault. Do you know anybody who's trapped in a memory that they can't quit thinking through and rehearsing over and over that has defined them differently than Jesus would? Do you know anybody who needs freedom because you know you do? And it'll all come down to whether or not we believe Jesus is the answer to freedom because he says, I will set you really free. Oh, I know a lot of people, including your preacher, who needs to be really free. In Romans 6, Paul tells us what we're talking about. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Pay attention. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Not just through him, but in him. So how do I live out my trust? What does he want me to do with the beautiful life he lived for us? Titus 2.10, Paul wrote to a young preacher, so you can be fully trusted so that in every way you will make the teachings about God attractive. Live in such a way that people see the reflection of Jesus in the choices you make with your mind, soul, body, strength. And I want to just give you three, three ways that, I mean, this is the call today. This is the opportunity. Share Jesus generously. Choose today to be more about him than whatever you had planned. Because here's what's beautiful. Whatever you had planned can be an opportunity for testimony if you're aware of the opportunities he might give you. Peter, now remember, this is the same guy who last week was still trying to figure it out. Peter would write these words in 1 Peter 3, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. You see, sharing our faith is not winning an argument. Sharing a faith is not declaring a winner and a loser. You're going to burn in hell if you don't come. I've never met a single person who responds to the love of God by being threatened. Most people don't want to face judgment. Why? Because they already have a conviction in their soul they've jacked this thing up. 
Most people want to know, what's the solution, preacher? I know I'm a mess. How do I overcome this? And the beautiful part is, you don't have to overcome it because Jesus Christ did. Let him be your authority. Let him be your power. Let him be your life. But share it with gentleness and respect. I've never found a passage that says, go into all the world and be obnoxious. Or go and be right. Or go and be superior. But I have heard, go and be gentle and loving and share the truth. Pray for an opportunity to be faithful. You will not share your faith. I will not share my faith. Nobody will share their faith unless they wake up that day saying, I want to honor and glorify Jesus in some manner today by offering hope to somebody I meet. So share it generously, pray for it, and then all we're doing is invite them to follow Jesus as he provides life. This morning you may be thinking, in fact, we've prayed that you would, that every single one of us in this room would have someone come to mind today that we were like, yep, that's the one who needs freedom. That's the one who needs hope. That's the one who needs life. They don't need condemnation and judgment. They don't need me to be superior. In fact, they don't even need me to be anything more than a herald of the opportunity Jesus has for them. And yes, you may have to walk with them, but maybe this person's come to mind and your first thought is, oh no, anybody but them. Not because you hate them, but you don't even know how to start. And we'd ask that around this room are four tables with lamps lit. If you'd like someone to pray with you this week, we're not going to abandon you. We'll walk with you in this. We'd love to be praying that you will have the conversation you need to have and that God will give you the words. I met with two people after first hour that came to me and said, would you pray for an opportunity for me this week? Absolutely, I'm in. Would you pray and ask God to make revealed to you this morning who it is that needs what Jesus offers and you have the relationship to tell them about the Jesus they may have never heard about or the Jesus they've misunderstood? We'd like to allow you just a, a few moments of silence this morning to have a conversation with God, to teach your heart to be generous as you herald the truth, and maybe place someone in your life that you can share about the goodness of our Lord. Let's just take a few moments to think through that. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.